Welcome to Episode 7 of The Better Show. Today we're talking about how to use nutrition for the energy, focus, and optimum performance that we all need to fuel our pursuit of getting better. It is a show for people who want to get better by people who love getting better, and that's that's us. When you start thinking about all the different ways that we can improve and we can get better and we can help the people around us get better, it's such a wide world. It covers almost every aspect of human experience and daily life. I'm pretty excited about building a community of like-minded people. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Better Show. I'm Ian Mikatel. I'm Darren Austin. And I'm Marsh Rogers. And today we are talking about nutrition, guys. Uh, specifically, I think, for optimum performance. Mm-hmm. So That's right. What, what does that exactly mean? Like, I guess there's different types of uh, nutrition that we could discuss, right? There's mm. things around dieting and a whole range of yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, nutrition is just such a huge topic, right? That it, that it really, you know, multiple areas of it deserve both a combination of the right experts to talk to and... Um, and, and the time to talk about it. And so things like nutrition for weight loss or even weight gain, nutrition in pregnancy for healthy child development, like Got each it. one of those could be this super deep dive that we could do and we can sort of listen to our audience and see what they want. Um, but for today, sure. um, I think we want to talk about nutrition for performance, right? How do you yeah. optimize it? Yeah, and I was just going to uh, just break in real quick to say, if you haven't listened to the show before, uh, this is a podcast for people who want to get better by people who want to get better. Um, we have done a few episodes that were fairly new uh, in the world of podcasting, but we hope you're enjoying what we've have out there so far. If you want to go back in our episode list, we have stuff on sleep and meditation and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. Um, and one of the things that we are super interested in, uh, as you were just saying, is getting a, a sense of... Um, how to get better at a wide variety of stuff in our lives. And uh, the way we do that in every episode is kind of breaking it down in a few parts. So um, we're going to talk about why it matters. And I think March will give us a deep dive into into a little bit of that in a second. Uh, mm, and sure. then we love to dip, deep dive in every episode into kind of our personal experiences with this thing. Um, so, um, you know, uh, Darren and March and I will kind of talk about maybe our own, you know, history with nutrition and how we've dealt with it in in our lives so far. Uh, and then we get into the meat of the show, which is usually our tips and tricks for folks. So what are things that have worked for us in the past that we can share with you? And then we wrap up with something where we talk about some experiments that we might try and we'll re- be reporting back on for, for listeners in the future. So uh, just giving folks a quick heads up on what to expect in the episode. Uh, so yeah, March, why exactly does nutrition matter for specifically for optimum performance? And what do we mean by optimum performance? Yeah, I think it's a it's a great question. I think, you know, when we think about daily performance, it's do we have the energy, uh, the concentration and the well-being of mind and body to be able to get everything done that we want to get done and achieve our goals. And nutrition is one of those things that's sort of a, a fundamental building block of whether we're going to be successful or not. Um and, you know, on, a, on a, a daily basis, poor nutrition can, you know, impair your health, your well-being. It can, you know, fundamentally reduce your ability to lead an enjoyable and active life. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that, that can mean that poor nutrition can contribute to stress, to tiredness. It can reduce our capacity to, to have the energy to do work. And over time, it can contribute to the risk of developing some illnesses and health problems like 
obesity or being overweight, tooth decay, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease and stroke, diabetes, osteoporosis, some right. forms just of cancer. Just a litany of stuff. Just yeah, it yeah, goes yeah. on oh, yeah. and on and on. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. totally, you know, it's, it's a domino effect things, of right? badness. Exactly. Yeah. But I think, I think, you know, we're mostly going to um, focus today on how can choosing to eat the right thing today help you today and how can choosing the right things to eat over, you know, a longer period of time sort of give you that optimal performance uh, throughout the year. It's funny. I think we were discussing uh, in prep for the show. This is another one of those kind of fundamental building block uh, topics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nutrition is, it can be a Pandora's box and you can go down it in lots of different ways. So uh, probably in future episodes, we'll tackle tackle other aspects of this. Uh, but today we're just focusing on the kind of, how do you kind of level up your life performance wise or maybe focus wise um, using nutrition? So, uh, okay, I get it matters. I don't want any of those diseases you just talked about. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no. we're all um, playing the long game, right? We're all playing yeah, the it's long a marathon. game. We're looking for not looking for quick hits. Right. We're looking for the long term, uh, better every day type of approach. Yeah. So, so Darren, then, then, what was your personal experience, kind of growing up in in from a child all the way to adulthood, uh, with yeah. nutrition specifically around for performance? Um, yeah. And one one question, I we actually I thought of this and I haven't told you guys before we started recording, but mm-hmm. I was very curious if you could describe like go back to your childhood and describe like a very common like thing that you mm. ate, like a dish or something. Like uh, I'm super mm. interested to know what that was like. That's a pretty good. That's actually a pretty good question. I think my diet is pretty significantly different as an adult than it was as a kid. So a couple of things that are different about that, I guess. I, as an adult, I live in Seattle. We have access to perhaps the greatest seafood of any market in the world. Um, mm-hmm. But I grew up in North Georgia where, you know, this, the seafood with things like rainbow trout and, and there just was not the selection that you have out here. So I didn't grow up eating fish in the house. I mean, mm-hmm. we actually ate a lot of red meat and it was fine. We had actually, you know, for, for the awareness of, uh, at the time, we had a really good diet. I mean, it was a healthy diet. We had, you know, we indulged in sweets and stuff. And I definitely have a sweet tooth that I have to be conscious of. But as an adult, I eat a lot less red meat than I ever did as a kid. And um, mm. I eat a lot more. I, I actually never did eat fish. Now I eat fish at least once a week, um, spending a lot of time focusing on on eating vegetables and greens. How about you, March? Uh, yeah, I'll give you I'll give you a couple of examples. I um. I grew up in my my mother's parents' house, so my grandparents' house, till I was about uh, eight or nine years old, and so I sort of some of my comfort food favorites are from from my grandmother's uh, repertoire. Um, one that, shepherd's uh, pie, I, right? Got to have that shepherd's, shepherd's pie. Shepherd's pie was totally on the list. Yeah, that was <laughs> one of the ones I was going to mention. Uh, for people who don't know what shepherd's pie is. It's basically oh, I beef. so pity those people. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's ground beef and uh, and onions, a little bit of seasoning, um, and then it's uh, mixed up with mashed potatoes, and then sometimes that's it, and sometimes it's grilled or baked on top of it. Uh, it's uh, it's very tasty, but um, it's uh, it has that that sort of typical warning from a nutrition point of view of being this sort of monochrome food. <laughs> so it's, yeah, not it's very brown, colorful. It's, no, it's brown and white, and if you mix it together enough, it all just becomes the same sort of shade of beige. Oh, but this, <laughs> um, this is the kind of food that this, this, sticks to your ribs, right? It's just right. It's goodness. It's, it's wonderful yes. Thanksgiving style uh, feeling when I eat um, that. <laughs> one of the one of the dishes that I fell in love with as a kid and and still love uh, is corned beef and cabbage, which oh, is a yeah. very 
a very Irish thing as well. Uh, and, you know, I think pretty much everybody knows what corned beef is. Um, what the what my grandmother used to do, and she, she followed the Irish um, sort of cooking tradition of boiling everything until it was dead, uh, <laughs> is that she would boil the, the uh, corned beef in, in just salted water. And when it was, you know, about 10, 15 minutes from done, she would chop up the cabbage and throw it in the same boiling water. Um, and so everything would sort of, sort of the texture was different, but everything would taste the same. And what's funny is, and I think this is just this emotional component of, of childhood is, you know, when I describe that meal to other people now, and I describe how you make it, I'm like, that sounds completely unappealing to me now with my current palate and the way that I eat, but it still has this really deep, emotionally happy, satisfying feeling associated with it, even though it's nutritionally, uh, debatable. Um, so, uh, how about you, Ian? What, what were some, uh, family favorites when you were a kid? Oh boy. Uh, yeah, it's funny. My mom is actually, uh, Irish heritage. And so I had a lot of similar things, but we had a big variety. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think, uh, one of the things around nutrition that is interesting just to consider is, and this is why I actually asked the question to open the show. I think a lot of your nutritional habits, uh, wherever you are in your life right now, listening to this probably all came from your early upbringing. Um, right. And and then you have to decide mm-hmm. as an adult, am I going to make strides to change that in any way if I need to or not? And so I, I think it's just a fun exercise to kind of reflect and really think about because I, I think so few people actually like sit and ever just take five minutes to think about why do I eat the way I do right now in my life? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it probably came yeah. from your family somehow or some way. And so, yeah, I, I grew up in a house. Luckily, my parents love food. You know, we appreciate it. And we we weren't necessarily the uh, epitome of health, but we certainly were better than the average, I would say. Right. Um, and so I ate a variety of stuff. And, and I did the typical, I think this is typical. You guys should chime in because uh, I know, March, you have kids. And uh, mm-hmm. I did the thing where, like, I remember when I was young, I would eat so many more varieties of stuff. And then I became a teenager and I, like, started to hate everything. Uh, and I wanted all the, <laughs> all the junk food and... And I don't know, there's some biological reason that must happen, uh, which is super interesting. Um, but uh. yeah, and then as an adult, I started to even back out again after college. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I probably had enough mac and cheese now for and ramen for about, you know, a small population. Uh, so I don't, I don't need to right. be having you, any more of it. You have eaten uh, four people's lifetime supply of macaroni and cheese. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so... Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, I, you know, I've just become, I, I nutrition, I, I agree with what you were saying earlier. It's one of those things where I know it can have so many downstream effects that like I've totally tried to be really conscious of it and we'll probably get into more kind of things we've actually tried through our tips and mm-hmm. tricks section, but I know we've all experimented in different ways with a whole bunch of stuff. So, uh, we can dive into that, but in general, my experiences have been kind of an evolution of sorts, kind of, I think what you were both saying. And so, you know, I I, th- I don't think of it as a thing that's ending anytime soon either. I think one one general thing that I think we probably all would agree on is the general state of food nutritional science is still there's a lot to be found out. It, yeah, it really is. Well, any, yeah, anything bio, biological is is so complicated that they're they're constantly uncovering new connections. Right. So it's, a, it's right. definitely a changing, yeah. evolving field. I think I think nutrition has the challenge of being a biological science, which means it's incredibly complicated, and then it's it's really difficult to do any sort of rigorous scientific experiment when it comes to nutrition, and particularly if you're trying to make you know public health policies or something like that. A lot of mm. um, nutrition science is is based on things like self-reported surveys and questionnaires, and so there's a lot of concern about you know even the quality of the data from those surveys. 
Um, and combine that with the fact that, you know, in terms of how do you turn that science into something that you would make as recommendations to people, and the government plays a role in that, um, there's a lot of special interests that are interested in making sure that their particular industry is, uh, you know, does well by those recommendations. And I think we've had multiple rounds in the U.S. over the last few decades of clearly biased um, uh, nutrition recommendations that uh, are are very problematic, even by the the sort of current understanding of the science. So it's super tough, both because it's a hard thing to measure, it's a very complicated thing to measure, and doing experiments in humans is, is um, very restrictive, obviously. Uh, and then combine that with the fact that there's a lot of people, because there's a lot of money involved in the food industry, there's a lot of people with vested interests in uh, certain things being consumed, regardless of whether they're actually good for us or not. Yeah, you know, we can take a side tangent and talk a little bit about this because I've I've done a bunch of reading on it because I'm passionate. Yeah, yeah. Tell um, me. Mm. You know, I think a way that you can become better on understanding nutrition in general for performance is realizing some of the the, the biases that do exist out there. And so March was starting to, to get into some of those. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, just for an example, uh, I remember there was a back in the Obama administration when they were trying to tackle the health care issue in the United States. Um, there was a lot of, of talk around. Uh, in the very, very early days of his presidency, he actually campaigned a lot on and he was one of the few who campaigned on like changing a lot of the um, the food industry. And right. and it was a controversial thing because everybody in D.C. kind of knows they have some of the strongest kind of lobbying teams uh, out there. And it's very, yeah. very difficult to change anything in food policy at a, at a broad scale in the United States. Yeah. Um, and and yet, if you actually do the math, and it's very fascinating, if you can go look up some great articles and 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 reporting that's been done on this, you know, obviously changing your nutritional habits as a country, no matter where you are in the world, could be one of the strongest, fastest, best ways to to change radically the amount of healthcare that needs to be given out there, right? Yeah, yeah, it's no preventative. Mm -hmm. And so, um, anyway, long story short, I remember reading a really cool article talking about how. He campaigned on this. He actually, you know, won, right, with a huge uh, uh, kind of momentum behind him when he came in back in, yeah. in, in yeah. 08. And even with all that momentum and he tried to do a couple things early on, he got so much pushback that the story goes that's the reason why Michelle Obama ended up taking up that uh, as her mantle for her, oh, for her the entire is, presidency. Is that, is that why she did that? Because mm -hmm. they, they, they basically my said— initiative? Yeah, they basically said, like, this is a political football that, like, is just not worth it. Um, we mm. will go try to tackle healthcare in other ways, uh, but, like, we just cannot fight the uh, food industry on, on some of these things. So, wow. very, so then you can do yeah, less controversial stuff, but, yeah. Yeah, well, it's also one of those things that you, you have to be— you have to be self-motivated, right? Like it's hard for somebody to sort of force you to do the right thing. So you have to have the intrinsic motivations to want to uh, pursue that for your own well-being. I mean, I'll tell yes. you, like, I got I got interested in it as an adult when I had a doctor visit. I, I started going to see a doctor for just a routine physical. I used to never do that when I was, like, in my 20s. And I started doing it in my 30s. Early in my 30s, the doctor says, he gave me some advice, actually. He gave me some really good advice. He just said, uh, Darren, the way that you treat yourself in your 30s and 40s is going to dictate the quality of life you have in your 50s, 60s, and 70s. So if right. you can generate a few good habits and if you can focus on just, it's nothing radical. You don't have to be a, a health fanatic. You don't have to be an exercise fanatic, but just the small changes, just good habits 
very reasonable good habits in your 30s and 40s will really take you the distance in your old age. And I thought, hey, that's much better than trying to course correct later in life, right? And go on drastic diets, uh, as you see a lot of people do when they have like yeah. a severe heart condition later in life. All of a sudden they go from eating, you know, barbecue three times a week or four times a week and a lot of red meat to all of a sudden almost a vegetarian diet. Um, yeah. that's the kind of yeah. change that I don't feel too excited about. So I thought, Hey, let's just go ahead and get this going now. I was just going to say, I mean, I think that's, that's really great, both that your doctor gave you that advice and also that you were able to heed it. You know, I think the reason why, why a lot of people don't change their lifestyle until some emergency happens related to it is, mm. uh, I mean, it's a combination of the fact that we're hedonic creatures, right? Like we, we seek pleasure and avoid pain and man, food can be really pleasurable, even if it's not good for you. Uh, and then mm -hmm. the, the other piece of it is we suck at being able to predict and imagine the future accurately. Um, yeah. And so it's it's really hard to do things that are not going to pay off for 20 years, especially if the payoff is something doesn't happen. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just really hard for us to get our heads around it and stay motivated around it. I actually think we could do a whole topic on how, like understanding the strengths and weaknesses of the human brain in terms of uh, motivation and uh, long-term planning and what are the sort of hacks and tricks on, on trying to get around it. Because you, uh, you were one of the lucky ones, my friend, if you were able to hear that advice in your 30s <laughs> and heed it. Well, funny you should say that, actually, because I did get that advice in my early 30s. And I do remember thinking to myself on a great number of occasions when I was deciding to indulge Oh, I'm still in my early 30s. I've got some time. I can <laughs> I can start this up next year. Right? Uh, uh, What's the nice. problem? Yeah. So no, I I'm as equally human as anybody else. But I I no, did manage sure. to come around. <laughs> uh, it's it's so great that you mentioned the the that though, March, because I I think of um the psychology of food is such a mm -hmm. fascinating topic and something that we can talk a little bit about today. Um, yeah. with but but it, I think it's used more frankly in the less in the focus area of nutrition, but more probably in the dieting and stuff in the future we can, we can talk about. Right. Um, but just two quick things I was going to, I was just going to give for, for ways to get better. Uh, we could probably start moving into our tips and tricks. Mm -hmm. Two things that are, are fascinating that I've learned are um, just things to be aware of. If you're, if you're looking at food in general, one is to question the things that you are being told are good or bad for you. And what I mean by that mm. is uh, specifically, it's going back to some of the government stuff. So if you in the United States look at any nutritional values uh, on packages, which is how I think the majority of people look at a thing and say, is this good or bad? Right, right. You have yeah. to actually go like, go do the legwork and look up, if you don't want to take my word for it, look up when the last time those nutritional standards were actually revised and, and thought about and published. In general, sure. you'll be pretty shocked about how outdated they are. Many of them were made in the early 90s. Uh, and if you follow any kind of nutritional science stuff, you'll realize that that's an eternity. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, a really good example is uh, the war on fats. And so like the mm -hmm. amount of fats and the types of fats back then was not understood well. Um, we know much more about them today. And it's just a completely different world. And so just be aware that if you're looking at packages and you're you're thinking, oh, this this says that it's a lot of what I should be having, those percentages themselves may not even be the right metrics. I'm not going to sit here and proclaim I know what the right are, but uh, just be aware that like what you are being told is good or bad for you might not always be the case. And I know that can sound scary because you go, oh, gosh, what is what is <laughs> what is or what isn't? Uh, mm -hmm. But it's just something to think about. The other one that I was... Oh, go ahead, Marsh. I think you had something. 
I no, I was just going to fully agree with that, and I think um, it's it's one of those topics where it's really you know it's it's sometimes unreasonable to say that everybody has to become an expert. Uh, in a topic in order to make choices about it because that's the whole reason we have specialization. We have doctors and plumbers and engineers specifically so we don't have to learn all that stuff. And unfortunately, nutrition is just one of those things that one is so unique and personal to each person and is so poorly understood and poorly communicated in the public that it is one of those topics right now. Maybe it won't be in the future, but right now you really do need to go and uh, and do some experimentation mm-hmm. or research for yourself about what works. Um, so yeah, yeah. sorry, I, I, I was just I completely agree with you, and and it's one of those things where it's it's not something that I would recommend lightly because asking people to go off and do that that kind of volume of research and self experimentation is you know not it's it's a lot of time and energy for people, but this is one of the ones where you kind of have to, and uh, and the payoff is huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's like I said, it's about awareness at least because awareness will actually get you really far. Um, mm-hmm. You don't need to know the right answers; you just need to be aware of maybe what is uh, what is junk or garbage out there. Yeah, just totally. the general directions. Yeah, I think this yeah. was what my doctor was getting at when he was saying just make some basic, uh, you know, awareness sort of approaches to this and and improve your diet a little bit over time. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And actually my second point before we move on that I was going to mention was specifically on doctors. And so I was Mm. shocked to read that your typical GP, general practitioner, kind of normal doctor that you go to for your physicals, your checkups and everything, most of them, and I'm not going to say all or anything like that, but most of them, they are not required to take very many nutritional food-based courses at all to become that level of a doctor. And so when you actually ask them questions about your diet, uh, their base knowledge is shallow, I will say. Like it's obviously going to be better than the layperson, but it's not like a nutritionist. And so again, like uh, it's just a thing that I've learned and I'd love to give this out for anybody listening. Like if you are interested in in improving the way you eat for whatever reason, let's say focus today, Mm -hmm. specifically hunt out a nutritionist. Don't just uh, think that any doctor must know all about food. It is not the case. Um, And it was a big thing that I, I had no idea about. And I, and I, looked into it and I learned like literally I looked at like the course scheduling and I have friends that are going into you know medical school and it's just the fact of life right now medical school doctors are not required to take very many nutritional courses they might take one or two or something like that but it's uh it's a very deep topic and so anyway I just want to throw that out there because I was really surprised when I learned that yeah mm-hmm. I totally agree and I mean there's this combination of we see doctors as being this sort of um authority figure to do with everything to do with health and and in some ways the sort of the system is set up to not allow them to even do that right they have to go to school literally for everything um and in many other many other professions there's the you know there has been this specialization all the way from the beginning of what you learn but as a doctor you have to go to school for you know basically 15 years uh and you learn a bit of everything and you get really good at diagnosing diseases and memorizing medications and everything else gets a little bit sort of pushed to the side unless you get into a specialization, which is another five years. So it's mm. a it's a tough hack. Uh, I'm waiting for the AI doctor. No doubt, man. Who's going to know everything and have read every paper. Um, that'll be a good day. You know, on a side note on that one, I actually I've actually kept every single receipt the, uh, from every doctor visit. I've had, a, you know, I have had a couple of knee surgeries. I've had a couple of other, well, any routine mm-hmm. that I've had related to health, blood work, the whole nine yards. I've got every paper receipt and every paper printout and everything from all of those visits. And it's funny you said you're waiting for the AI doctor because that's exactly why I'm doing this, because at some point 
I think I'm going to pay somebody uh. to scan all of that in, do an OCR and optical character recognitions, and then hopefully feed this into a brain that can start giving me sort of a timeline view on just my general health. Um, now, that's the only thing idea. that's not in there will be the nutrition piece. That's the missing component. Um, mm. And to be honest with you, there are probably some of those things I don't want in there on the nutrition side because I like to, I like to splurge sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Darren, you just give me 10 bucks and I'll do all that for you. Oh, really? <laughs> that's quite a rate, man. <laughs> you work cheap. I get it any way I can, any way I can. Uh, okay, so let's move on to our tips and tricks for folks. I know we have a bunch of cool things that we want to give out there for folks to think about, to try out, to implement within their own diets and routines and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will start with the one that I did way back in high school. And I know, I think, March, you also had this in here. More water, less soda. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You've probably heard this before. Um, oh, but yeah. I wanted to dig into just a tiny little bit about the like soda component of this. Uh, I think most people listening probably know soda, not that great for you. But I wanted to talk just about my personal experience. Like I, I cut it out completely. I went cold turkey like right, I think it was like my senior year in high school, right before I went to college. And I have never looked back and I've never had any problems with it. And I, you know, one of the things that I wanted to to throw out there to consider it's uh, similar to i think we were talking about this in the stress episode of the way i flip stressors around Mm. Uh, i flipped the soda thing around so i basically said okay ooh, i want to hear about this well a can of soda is essentially Mm -hmm. a can of sugar um Mm -hmm. and so let's start thinking about it in terms of the sugar that it actually is and then say what would you rather "Hmm." have exactly i do a would you rather right like would you rather have this pepsi or would you rather have maybe an entire pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream? And mm. for me, I'm not saying are, this are to you, everybody. Do they have the same amount of sugar? Those two things? I, I have not actually done the math. <laughs> okay, I, okay. I, I could in the top of my head, and it's actually probably fairly close. Okay, um, all right. Because Ben and Jerry's is looking good right now on that on that scale. <laughs> if if I have to choose between those two, Ben and Jerry's, it's going to be, and it's going to be the, the Stephen, you got to check the Stephen Colbert uh, Americone Dream because that's really the one that's the payoff. It's, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. So I, really I just did a quick search. Uh, I'm seeing in a 12 ounce can of cola, 33 grams of sugar. Okay. Um, and I believe in, a, in at least a serving out of a pint, like I think it's like a fourth of a pint of a Ben and Jerry's, like a normal human's amount. Yeah. Uh, it's about the same. Yeah, it's actually, um, uh, most of the ones I looked up were a little bit less. You could probably get almost half a pint uh, for perfect. some of them. Yeah, so somewhere between a quarter and a half pint. And I, I would agree with you, if I had to choose between a can of soda and a, right? a, a half pint of Ben & Jerry's, mm-hmm. I would uh, I, I would eat all of the Ben & Jerry's and then yeah. and swear off soda for life. And so, you know, I just kind of did that. And I think it's a really cool little hack to psychologically think about, like, how to cut out something that's really not good for you. At the same time, you know, uh, and this is a great thing to think about for nutrition always is a soda is this really, really ma- like super manufactured thing. I'm not saying ice cream is, is a ton better, but it's literally just liquefied sugar in a lot of mm-hmm. ways with some flavoring. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, when you at least have maybe that same amount of sugar by having um, some ice cream, you're at least getting some other things with it that are like natural things, you know, maybe milk and calcium and a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. Um, and so, you know, whether that's uh, and that can be applied through a whole lot of other nutritional things that you may do, like when you get fiber from eating fruit rather than just blending like juicing and getting straight, straight up juice. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's a good all point. All things like that. So, Wait, um, I have a question on the soda thing. 
A question that I've actually, I think I know the answer to, but I, I've actually never discussed it with anybody. So you guys will be probably not more knowledgeable than I am. The problem with soda is the sugar, right? It's not, it's not like, uh, it's not the carbonation necessarily. Uh, and it's not it's, really the caramel coloring, right? It's really the sugar that's the problem. Uh, well, there's a couple of things. One, I mean, the sugar is the 800 pound gorilla that's beating right. up your body when you drink soda. Um, carbolic acid, which is in the um, soda, is not good for the enamel on your teeth. Right. That much I knew. You'd have to drink a lot of it or like be sipping it. You know, that like anyone who, you know, opens a soda and sips it sort of while they're doing other work for half an hour. And then as soon as the soda's gone, they open another one. Those oh, folks. Oh, because there's a regular those, acidic. Yeah. Yeah, you're basically dissolving your teeth a little bit in the same way that mm, you know you can nice. you you can put a you can put a, a penny like a discolored penny in soda overnight, mm-hmm. fecti Coca Cola, and in the morning, uh, it's going to be clean. So it's doing something. But yeah, I mean, the yeah. thing that, you could do that uh, with Taco Bell hot sauce too. By the way, I saw there's a YouTube video on that, it, and that penny which, is we should, really clean. We just <laughs> compile a list of things not to brush your teeth with. Um, exactly. Yeah, not, not sriracha sauce neither. Um, but yeah, you're right. You're right that sugar is really the thing to worry about. Um, and for the most part, I mean, the fact the availability of diet soda has helped a lot. Diet soda is not like exactly a great thing to drink. But if your choice is between soda and diet soda, then uh, diet soda is much better. Um, they do find people who have who are either diabetic or pre-diabetic, meaning they have a very high level of blood sugar relatively and they're and a sort of blunted insulin response. Uh, they actually, even if you drink diet soda, you still have an insulin response, which can put a stress right. on your body. I was going to say, uh, there was an article about this just the other day, uh, because it, yeah. it causes you to have, well, it does affect your insulin, but then it causes you to crave other foods, more more yeah. of the other foods. You end up tend to eat more. So it's a yeah. double-edged sword, the diet stuff. It totally is. And, and go, going back to what Ian said about the ice cream, I think there's like, there's a there's a really powerful sort of insight here for me around changing your diet. One of the things is, is if you're taking something out of your diet that you really like, uh, and that's going to be pretty common because uh, if you didn't like it, it wouldn't be a part of your diet anyway. The It can feel like a sense of deprivation and it can feel really hard and it can always feel like over and over again, you have to make the decision not to have that soda or that candy or whatever it is. So a good tip is before you try and remove something from your diet, add in something else. And so the add in something healthy, right? If you're, if you... If you think you're eating mm. too many potato chips, uh, add more vegetables into your into your uh, life. And specifically, try, chips. exactly, try and add <laughs> something that sort of you would eat in the same circumstances. So you know, more water, less soda. So when you're thirsty, drink water. And you can even say to yourself, "Well, I'm going to drink water till I'm not thirsty, and then if I still feel like having a soda, I'll have a soda. That's fine." Um, mm-hmm. If if you're going to sit down on the couch and open a bag of chips in front of the TV. Maybe have some chopped up vegetables and bring the chips with you, but, you know, to make a determination to eat some of the vegetables first. Because even if all you're doing is reducing the volume of these things, but you're doing that in a way that doesn't make you feel deprived and therefore is sustainable, that's that's an improvement. So this sort of thing, mm-hmm. of like adding things that are good for you to your diet may even, I mean, in general, will just sort of reduce the total amount of bad things that you're eating just because they're taking its place. Mm. Totally. And so yeah, on the like vegetables that. front, that I know that was another one that we wanted to just talk about was just get more vegetables in, uh, yeah. especially dark ones. Um, March, did you have some thoughts on that? Oh man, dark dark leafy vegetables are sort of like the magic pill of nutrition. Um, oh yeah. 
part of it is is uh, they just have so much good stuff in them, right? They're just packed full of vitamins and minerals, um, and they you know antioxidants for the body. They they've got fiber in them. Uh, this compounds presence in most dark green leafy vegetables that inhibit the growth of certain cancers, and it has almost they have almost no calories, and so they don't really add any calories to your life. Uh, but they've got vitamin C and K and calcium, all sorts of great things. And so when I say you know, when we say dark green leafy vegetables, what I'm talking about is things like spinach, arugula, kale, collard greens, uh, chicory, chard. Uh, Swiss chard. Yeah, totally. Um, mm-hmm. And those things, I mean, you don't you don't just have to like eat them raw or even just eat them steamed. Like you can totally, you can saute them. You can throw some garlic in there, oil, butter, you know, throw some, they make it taste good. And as long as they're not overcooked, they're still going to have all of these really great benefits. So yeah, just start to, again, this is one of those add rather than take away is uh, every time you're putting your plate together and, you know, whatever's on it that you, you normally like to eat, uh, try and get a dark uh, green leafy vegetable on there and uh, it's it's going to help you a whole lot. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. I eat, I try and eat dark green leafy veg something every day. Yeah, and I tell you the tip on that is, is a good recipe. That's the best mm. tip because we mm-hmm. started eating a ton of kale when... Uh, so my wife and I used to go to these cooking classes and... This is actually one of the ways we really learned how to cook uh, more healthy, and it w- there was no sacrifice at all because we were uh, we were attending these cooking classes that were focused on well, they were taught by some of the best chefs here in town. That the, it's just yeah. kind of one of their their passions, right? So we got these recipes for like uh, a vegetable gratin uh, that were that was delicious and it's got a little cheese in there, so you really don't feel like you're you know, sacrificing a whole lot. I got a great recipe for, for kale where you saute that up with some garlic and a little white wine. Um, oh. And it, it, oh yeah, right. I know, you know. I'm just going to be making those noise. I have to be careful not to drool <laughs> on my microphone. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's the trick. That's the trick that I have is is yeah. just find the good recipes and, and you don't feel like there's a sacrifice there at all. Yeah, well, totally. I will combo on top of you both with the vegetable theme and say <laughs> the other thing that I think most people out there have not done at all is they have not even tasted what really fresh, great vegetables taste like. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, oh. and so one of the things I would say is if you are serious about upping your health game and your nutrition game, obviously eat more vegetables, but spend a little bit of money and get organics and get fresh local vegetables on the things that you can afford to do it on, but also the ones that matter. And so one of the links that we're going to have in the show notes is this thing that I found out years ago. I think I was back in college. It's called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. And so this is a list put together by an organization called EWG. Uh, You can go to EWG.org. And every year they update this and they reassess what are the uh, essentially the pesticide amounts on all vegetables and fruit or the top sold ones or something like that. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And so what this is, why this is important is everybody knows organic vegetables, not the cheapest things in the world. Same thing Mm -hmm. sometimes buying locally. And so what you can use these lists for is to look at the dirty dozen and, and essentially know those are the 12 things that you should really buy organic. And the clean 15 are actually the least amount of pesticides, I guess. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so then mm-hmm. you can basically be safer not having to spend the money on organics for those. And so I've used this thing for years and it, and it fluctuates year to year. It's very fascinating to keep up up to date. Just go grab a new copy of it every year. Uh, take it with you to the grocery store a couple of times and you'll probably just end up remembering the ones to avoid and the ones that are super safe. Um, yeah, th- I'm glad you brought that up. My wife, is she's she found that as well. And that's been something that we've followed. And I was surprised because you're, some of them are way more sensitive than others and the others you can get away with not worrying about too much of the organic stuff. 
It's a great idea. Yeah. And, and it just goes on top of like that. So you can use that list to then spend the money and get really, really great vegetables. And the thing I've been shocked with is is the amount and taste difference that you can have on a vegetable just on getting something that's, you know, fresh and maybe local. Mm-hmm. And it, it can wow. totally yeah. change your mindset on, on certain vegetables even. Like I remember I've... Uh, maybe last spring or something, I bought this broccoli and I have just, I just sauteed it with like a little bit of like sea salt or something. And I, I feel like I'd never had that thing mm. before. I was like, what did mm-hmm. I eat before? What was all those green leafy tree looking things that I had for those, <laughs> those years? Mm-hmm. And like on the flip side of it, I've had like bags of frozen broccoli that oh, I like yeah. over yeah. microwaved and then was eating and like Ooh, it's kind of burnt no. and I'm just hating mm-hmm. my life. And so that is, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's almost a punishment. Yeah, it is definitely. exactly for me. It would be no doubt a punishment. Yeah. That, so I had that's why I have to find ways to make it enjoyable. Okay, so so we're gonna have less soda. We're gonna have some more water and vegetables. Yeah. Uh, what mm-hmm. else can we do? Maybe for 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 mental focus specifically. Yeah, it's uh, so I'll talk about this one. This is something I struggled with um, for years actually. Where almost every day I would at some point have the crash. And, um, mm-hmm. and that was, a, that was both my energy dropped, my ability to focus dropped. I'd get foggy, I'd get headaches, I'd get cranky. I was like, you know, almost every day I would get hangry. You guys know that term? Oh yeah. I, I literally have a t-shirt with it written on it. <laughs> Isn't that a, I think that might be a Burger King commercial or something is it, like is that. It, there's, that a, there's, a, yeah. there's a commercial, sort of, like, I don't know. It's entered into popular culture. Exactly. For sure. Um, uh, so anyway, that, that happened to me for years. And then, uh, I sort of had this amazing lucky discovery, which is about, um, five or six years ago, Kristen was, uh, tried a low carb diet, you know, to lose a little weight and just sort of out of solidarity, I went on a low carb diet with her and I'd never really, I mean, I, I, I had focused on eating a variety of foods, but I'd never really tried limiting anything. And, oh my God, I mean, the difference for me was just incredible. I, found that I had endless amounts of energy, that I stopped having these crashes in the middle of the day, that my oh, really? emotional level just totally balanced out, that I could maintain focus for longer, and that I didn't feel tired at the end of the day. And uh, that, for me, has been incredibly powerful, is that is basically stabilizing your blood sugar, you know, just avoiding mm-hmm. sugar and simple carbs, uh, eat enough fat, because fat's a very slow-burning, uh, satisfying food, and uh, mm-hmm. and then do something. I mean, I I am a, at this stage. I'm experimenting with something called a ketogenic diet, which is a little bit more extreme. But even things like the slow carb diet, where you're just thoughtful about the kind of carbs you eat. You eat complex carbohydrates. You eat them always mixed with a protein or with some fat, so that they metabolize a little bit more slowly. I think mm-hmm. that can really help, right? Because this sort of the um, being on the roller coaster of your mental energy, your physical energy, and your emotional energy all day long is just so uh, time-consuming and distracting uh, that it really negatively impacts your performance. I'm curious, um, uh, Darren, if you ever had any, have you have you experienced that roller coaster and has anything worked for you to try and get off of it? Yeah, I do get that a little bit. And it's funny, I have this, I, I've, I'm I'm narrowing in because I'm constantly doing sort of self-exploration and testing, like what, mm-hmm. what foods make me feel certain ways. And, um, I, I, even today when I'm, I'm, my diet is not terribly strict. I think I eat pretty well, but I'm not, uh, you know, like I'll have a soda now and again, and I'll, I'll eat, you know, white bread now and again on a Subway sandwich or something. But I 
definitely notice that that sort of afternoon, like that post lunch energy drain. Yeah. And I'm still narrowing in on exactly what it is. It's usually when I'm eating something that isn't fully, you know, fully healthful. You know, I don't get those when I'm eating a big salad for lunch or something like that. I definitely adhere to sort of a, I get a, I get a little bit of caffeine in my diet on purpose. I've got, you know, two cups of, two cups of espresso in the morning. Um, Right. I try not to have too much beyond that because I it will affect my sleep. Um, so I I'm a little careful about that. But yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, a couple of you know a little bit of caffeine in the morning. Uh, just on the on the caffeine part though, there's so many yeah. interesting parts to caffeine. We had we had talked about in our our research for the show. Yeah. That specifically can help you with performance kind of stuff. Like I think you know the general population just thinks of caffeine as it's the it's the pick me up. It gives me a boost of energy. Mm-hmm. It helps wake me up. But you know there's research that shows it helps with everything from memory to attention to concentration. Um, yeah, absolutely. Did, have you guys experienced that, or do you have any more uh, info that you can share on that? Uh, I actually wanted to hear Darren's story about caffeine because I know that I mean you've you've told us before that you uh, suffered a little bit from attention deficit AD. problems. Yeah, ADD, right? Um, and in some studies, caffeine's shown to sort of help have this like calming effect on people with ADD and helps them concentrate and focus and even sleep a little better. And I was curious if that was it true did for do you. that. It did do that for me. It wasn't caffeine as much, although I did include that in the you know, in the prescription, I guess you could say, um, when I was diagnosed with the ADD, they, they put me on a medication called Dexedrine, okay. which is basically a stimulant. It's kind of right. like a, like a different form of caffeine. Uh, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. It's not, it's not quite like Ritalin. I, I'm not really sure how to describe it. Uh, other than it's pretty, I'll, I'll tell you how to describe it. It's the same white little pills that the truck drivers used to take to go those all night runs, uh, oh, right. on, on long haul highways. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. And, and it was, um, I was, was on a really low dose. Dexa, Dexedrine? Dexedrine. Dexedrine, okay. yeah. Got it. And I was on a really low dose. And what was interesting is about ADD, at least in my case, it has to do with, uh, I think, the prefrontal cortex of your brain being understimulated and other parts of your brain taking over. Uh, in, in compensating for that lack of, of hmm. activity in that part of your brain. And it turns out that part of your brain is responsible for, wouldn't you know, focus. And also sort of like clear decision-making and things like that. And in my case, I didn't notice it. I, I did notice it in terms of focus. And when I went on that, when I went on those meds, I noticed an immediate difference. And the funny thing was, um, to your point, March, um, not only did I was I thinking clearer and I was sharper and a lot more focused, but I slept like a baby. Uh, Mm. it was, it had the exact opposite effect. And so I did, um, that's when I added, and by the way, for what it's worth uh, through some nutrition stuff and through meditation, which we talked about in a previous episode, I'm Mm -hmm. no longer on the meds. I completely got off because I didn't like the idea of being on meds, especially meds that you can get a tolerance to. So right. I just figured, well, let's correct it with behavior, diet, exercise. Um, so I was able to do that, uh, which is nice. Uh, I feel a lot yeah, better about my overall health situation with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it absolutely helped me sleep, and it was counterintuitive. Wouldn't have expected that. Very cool. Yeah, very March, good. can you talk a little bit about the ketogenic diet? So this is a thing yeah. that I have heard. It's- yeah, that is super cool. It's a new buzzword around there yeah, in the, in the yeah. biohacking circles. Yeah. Uh, and you're someone that actually has been doing it. 
And yeah, I would just love to know if you could give folks maybe a quick primer on it, um, sure. why you would even consider doing it, and then maybe what the benefits are. Hey everybody, Ian here. Hope you're enjoying this episode. Uh, a quick break to talk about the only sponsor for this episode, which is actually our own newsletter, The Better Show Bits. And just like the podcast, it is a newsletter for people who want to get better. And here's how it works. Would you like to get a very short email each Friday with a roundup of our best stuff that we found to get more out of life? That could include interesting new articles we found, stories of crazy experiments we're testing out ourselves, or my personal favorite, which is simply new products that we've discovered that you can try out. If you would like to receive this or just check it out, head on over to bettershow.io slash newsletter. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. All right, that's it. Let's get back to the show. So uh, a ketogenic diet was first discovered uh, because um, back in the early part of the 20th century, uh, there was multiple studies going on about the effects of uh, fasting uh, and how it could uh, either you know help solve various problems or be helpful for you or not be helpful for you. And uh, one of a study that was out at John Hopkins University discovered that basically reducing uh, greatly reducing the uh, the glucose that was in the diet of children who had severe intractable uh, epilepsy uh, significantly reduced the number of seizures they had. And so uh, they, mm. they thought, okay, this is interesting. And they first they did it by fasting, but, you know, fasting is not a long-term solution to anything. Um, and not, uh, you know, you can do it for a while, but eventually uh, turns out you're going to need food. And uh, <laughs> particularly for young children, you kind of don't want them fasting right they need to get enough regular nutrition because they're growing and they're building their bones and their muscles and their brains and so so they need it so they were looking for like how can we get a fasting like uh response while still having kids be able to eat and this led to a series of experiments that resulted in discovering essentially a parallel metabolic pathway in the body which is if the body has a choice it will metabolize glucose and that's what we you know we mm -hmm. think of it as blood sugar and there's all sorts of sugars in the world that are basically either glucose or fructose. And they all get transformed into um, glycogen, which is stored in the muscles in the liver, and then is liberated. And, and the cells, every cell in your body uses glucose to, uh, to create energy to go, to, to do all of the things that cells need to do to stay alive. And your, mm -hmm. brain, your brain is a glucose hog, right? Your brain is about, I think it's like 5 or 10% of the mass of your body, but it takes 25% of the energy every day. And so uh, uh, it really needs that energy to go. But it turns out that there's another thing that your body stores uh, as energy, and that's fat, uh, as everybody knows. And that's a whole different sort of molecular structure uh, called ketones, and acetone is one of those. And so your, your body can take in things. It can actually turn glucose into, into stored ketones in fat cells, or you can eat fat, and it can, it can turn that into fat as well. But your body sort of has this two-tier system, and if there's enough glucose floating around, it wants to use that glucose, and it's very reluctant to switch mm. over to the second track of um, of using ketones. But if you don't have, if you either start fasting, this, by the way, is why you can go without multiple days for eating, right, or without eating, because the glucose is going to wear off uh, or run out in about 24 to 30 hours, and then what happens then is your body switches gears. So what they found was, was that, again, these children with this epilepsy, uh, if they were on a ketogenic diet, and a ketogenic diet was one that basically kept the blood sugar incredibly low, 
uh, and instead promoted um, the body to metabolize ketones, that the epilepsy um, seizures went way down and in some cases was completely controlled without medication. So wow. that's been known and studied and understood for this particular medical treatment for a long time, like the since the 50s. Uh, but in more modern times, people have been looking at it to say, you know, okay, so this works fine. Like, it, you know, they, they have studies of kids who have grown up living on this diet because if they don't live on it, they are hospitalized constantly with seizures. And, uh, and they grow up healthy and fine, right? So we have this sort of natural experiment to show that long-term use of a ketogenic diet is not um, terribly bad for you. There's a few cases around particular forms of performance for athletes where it's probably not the best because a ketogenic diet um, lowers the total amount of um, human growth hormone in your body. Uh, and so if you're trying to like uh, build your body or, or you're doing powerlifting or something like that, you probably don't want to be on a ketogenic diet. But um, if that's not your goal, then a ketogenic diet can actually be really good for you. So one for me, mm. you know, it, it gives me this low carb thing of being very stable emotionally. Uh, as well as I can have a lot of energy and concentration. The other thing that's interesting for me about it, and I'm experimenting with, is I can skip meals and it doesn't seem to actually change anything. So I've experimented with this, you know, I'll skip a meal, I'll skip two meals, I do a 24-hour fast, a 48-hour fast. I, I mentioned in another podcast about the using fasting for, the planes, for, right? yeah, for jet lag. And in, in that case, what made it much easier for me to fast, because you don't get anywhere near the sort of hunger signals that you do uh, on a ketogenic diet, you don't really get many hunger signals. And so... Um, because you don't need it because you're just, you know, steadily burning through fat in your body. And as long as you've got some nutrition going in and everybody has a little bit of fat left over, you never do, you get off the roller coaster forever. The other thing that's really starting to be interesting, and uh, a few different doctors are, are studying this, uh, Don D'Agostino is one of those doctors that, uh, that has been interviewed on quite a few podcasts and has written a few books, and we'll put a link to his website in the show notes. He's done a lot of research on this is showing that uh, it turns out that one of the ways in which uh, cells become cancerous is they uh, forget when to uh, when to self-destruct, right? So they they start right, right. to uh, mutate they, and then they, they, grow, and they grow and grow. And uh, one of the characteristics of, of all cancer cells is that the mitochondria become poorly formed. And the mitochondria are the little um, energy centers inside your cells that take that blood sugar and transform it into what's called ATP, which is then used to to drive the cell. And they're very hungry for this glucose. But it turns out that the mitochondria in those cancer cells can't access ketones. They just can't use them. And so hmm. uh, so a ketogenic diet is is starting to be looked at as being basically a long-term, all forms of cancer reduction uh, diet. Which is kind of what wow. I'm, that's what I'm doing with it right now is that it's, it seems to have some compelling evidence. I mean, it's still early, but some compelling evidence that a ketogenic diet uh, will reduce your risk of, um, of pretty much every form of cancer because it, uh, as those cancer cells start, we always have cancer cells in our body, but normally our bodies just take care of them. It mm -hmm. basically makes those cells have a much harder time because they're in a much less friendly environment inside the body. It's the same the wow. same reason that I had mentioned on a previous episode, I believe, about the intermittent fasting yeah, uh, being exactly. a way to kind of flush out your system from from hazardous cells as well. Yeah, totally. If anyone wants to try this, and I will say that this is you kind of have to be a little bit of a self-experimenter and you have to be willing to try it, right? Because the diet, in order to get it, it is very restrictive in terms of carbs, like below 20 grams a day, which is... Oh my God, that's tough. Yeah. So you just have to choose not to, you have to choose not to eat anything. So no, I mean, I, I, I don't eat um, fruit anymore. Um, yeah. Okay. So like if I, if I, if you wanted to give me, so you're not prescribing it to the audience, but just help Ian out here. Right, I want to okay. start doing this. I okay. actually want to put this in my, 
what I'm going to experiment with. Okay. How do I get started with this? Like what, how do I think about it? What do I eat? When do yeah. I eat? Like, how do I do this? Okay. So, uh, you'll like the scene. Cause the first thing is it's going to start with a gadget, which is, I love it already. Yeah. Uh, you're going to want to get a, a machine that measures the ketones in your blood. And so Ooh. there's one called the extra precision blood meter. And we can put a link in the show notes, or I'll send you a link as well, Ian. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, it's a device that can read both blood sugar levels, so it's normally used for people with diabetes, uh, and also ketones. And so you can buy these little strips, and basically, you poke yourself in the finger, you drop a, a droplet of blood onto the, onto the strip, and you stick it into the machine, and it tells you what your current blood levels of ketones is. Hmm. Um, and you'll always have a certain amount of ketones, you know, because you'll, you'll be metabolizing a little bit of fat. But basically what they, what they call nutritional ketosis is usually higher than 0.5 uh, millimolars, which is how it's measured. Hmm. And so higher than 0.5, wow. uh, you know, people generally who are doing it, you know, sit somewhere between, it can go as high as three or four millimolars, but most people sit somewhere in like the eight to 1.5 range. So the reason to do that is that you want to have a really accurate way, and, th and that is very accurate, uh, way of tracking this every day so that you can see what particular responses your body is having to um, to certain foods? Uh, because uh, certain foods are gonna you're gonna you have a different reaction than than other people will. So, for example, got it. Some you know one person might be able to eat half an apple and uh, and maintain ketosis, and someone else will will eat half an apple and they'll fall out of ketosis and back into glucogenesis for you know like a day or two. Right. Um, okay. I always hear oh, people wow. say, "I got kicked out of ketosis." Yeah. So basically what they mean is that, that to be functionally like most of your uh, metabolism is is based on ketogenesis. You need to be above about 0.5 and some people aim for like 0.8 millimolars. Uh, and if you eat a bunch of sugar, again, your body will preferentially metabolize the sugar. So if, if you, I don't know, ate chocolate bar or that half pint of Ben and Jerry's, your body will say, OK, cool, we're, we're turning off the, the, the ketones and we're turning on the glucose. And not only is that sort of that's a period of time when your body is sort of switching back around, uh, there's a couple of things around the transition from being in a, a, a glucose metabolism to a ketone metabolism that feels kind of unpleasant because your body doesn't just like smoothly switch tracks. It runs out of glucose. Right, right. It makes you feel bad about it. It makes you crave sweet things because it wants more glucose. And then after a while, it goes, oh, fine, and sort of like switches tracks. But you're, you're it's like any good breakup. Yeah, you're going to have a couple of hours where you where it sucks. Uh, some people who have, for the first, this only really happens for the very first time that you're going from a glucose-based diet to a, a ketone-based diet is what they call the keto flu, which is basically uh, you've got about 24 hours worth of uh, glycogen in your body. And Feeling then crummy, that, yeah. And then and then you're going to hit that wall. It's almost, it's like the same experience. It is actually the same experience that people who are running a marathon have who get to like mile you know, 20. Right, right. And they're basically all out, right? There's nothing left. And they, they're like, they hate their life. And they're like, why did I do this? And this sucks. <laughs> but if you push, if you push through it, then, and then it'll be fine. So I get the, I get yeah. the little monitor thing. I'm going to prick myself, <clears throat> get, get some readings. Yeah. So get, uh, that, that will get you a baseline. How do I actually get into ketosis? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so when you can, you, you can get yourself a baseline and write that down somewhere and then. Can I put it like in a Google maps or, you know, is it a desk? Like, <laughs> is it a desk? <laughs> I want to go to ketosis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be funny. Go to ketosis land. Um, no, basically, uh, cut out all carbs. So first you have to cut out all the obvious carbs, right? So no potatoes, no rice, no bread. Um, 
no no beer. Um, you well, can for, you for can, what for what it's worth. Yeah. I, I was a little worried that this might not be for me, March. I did a quick search, uh, how many carbs in a glass of whiskey, because I needed to know, right? Yeah, I, yeah. If it was going to try this, I needed to know how, no, how deep was question. I getting into it. It's an important question. It was a very important question. It was so important, in fact, that it turns out there's no carbs in whiskey. But the more interesting component of this is, in in the Google search, people also ask, the fifth question down is, what is whiskey keto? And and the sixth uh-huh. question down is, can you drink whiskey on keto? And yeah. I'm I'm very happy to say that it is, uh, according to Google here, it's a great drink for someone on a it, ketogenic diet. It is. There's absolutely no carbs in uh, in spirits. So, and you're also safe with your wow. with your tequila and your vodka and your gin. That was uh, my next search was the tequila one, and it yes, I was happy about that as well. All right. Let, let okay. Me... So I'm gonna I'm gonna cut out carbs. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna drink all liquor. Right. So so this sounds well. Great you're so gonna far, drink right? good liquor. Let's just get that um, straight. No, 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 that rod gut stuff. <laughs> Got so, it. So you're gonna do that, and then the question is: There's a bunch of like hidden carbs and things in like fruits and uh, even even in some vegetables and stuff. But I wouldn't cut those out until you see whether just cutting out all the main carbs uh, kicks you into ketosis or not. Because you don't need to cut those stuff out if you're not particularly sensitive to sugar. So the first one is all the obvious carbs are gone. The second one is the the balance between your fats and your proteins has to shift a little bit because the liver can turn protein into glucose. So neuroglucogenesis, ah, it's called. Damn liver. Yeah, the damn liver. It's an amazing machine. But, uh, it's getting in the way. It totally yeah, is. It's the 3D printer of <laughs> molecules. But oh, very cool. I like that. So, uh, so you want to lower your protein, not, not, it doesn't have to be very low, but just, uh, if you were eating a very low carb, high protein diet before you need to ease off on that a little bit. And then the other thing is just, you need fat, 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 fat. Um, so lots of fat. So, uh, cook everything in butter, uh, is my recommendation. Uh, by mm. the way, um, milk has a lot, I don't know if you have any milk in your life, Ian, but milk, um, a lot of sugar has a lot it. of sugar in it. Heavy cream doesn't. So, uh, half and half is, I think, too carby. So I, I put heavy cream in my coffee. Um, Wait, is that true? So heavy cream or, or cream doesn't have as much sugar as regular milk? Is that because are they adding sugar to it? No, it's just uh, so, you know, uh, what we think of as milk is skimmed, right? So even like whole right, milk, right. that still had the fat removed. So what's left is just per volume more sugary. Um, oh, I get it. That makes sense because yeah. volumetrically, you're going to end up with a lot more fat yeah. in, a, in an ounce of cream, exactly. and it displaces the the liquid that would have been sugar. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you got the meter. You're getting some readings. Uh, you're you've cut out all the obvious carbs. You started cooking with a lot more fat. If you want to, right? You can you can supplement with additional fat. I don't really like to do this, but uh, some people will like they'll mix coconut oil into their coffee. Um, and there, there's even there's a, a couple of companies. This. Oh, you do that. You do the bulletproof I do this. coffee. Oh yeah, I don't do a bull. I do a. I do probably a lightweight version. Yeah. Uh, it's not, maybe not quite bulletproof, sort of not quite Kevlar, but maybe just like a you know heavy jacket type of bulletproof, <laughs> which is basically adding a little coconut milk in there and or a little coconut uh, oil in there. And right, I forget what else I do, but yeah. And so will all of that kick me into ketosis, most likely? Uh, most likely it will. So the the other thing you have to be aware of is um, uh, your body has to get rid of like it has to use up all of the glucose already in storage before it's going to switch over. So from the moment that you say, okay, no more carbs, you have probably 
24 to 48 hours before oh, okay this you're is the breakup mm-hmm. period yeah yeah um, and, <laughs> that's and exactly what it is there's definitely going to be you need to have a plan for that 48 hours because uh parts of it are gonna suck a little bit um and it, it you totally get through it and out the other side but um you need to like either go okay what am i going to do when i would literally murder someone for some ben and jerry's ice cream what am i going to i need a plan for that moment um, we should record mm-hmm. an episode of the Better Show while I am in that transition. We we totally should. It'll be uh, it'll be oh funny. God, it'll be funny be awesome. for us. It'll be funny for us. We'll have to explain. <laughs> oh yeah, because we're gonna completely give him a hard time. <laughs> we'll, I'm gonna be eating potato chips during that one. We'll, we'll <laughs> no have question. to explain to uh, to the audience why Ian is is turned into a cranky old man. But uh, oh yeah, that's great. I hate everything. Um, <laughs> anyway, but once once you're through that, what you should notice is that your that that ketones that you're measuring will suddenly start to go up. Now the question is, is how far do they go up? Do you want to get it up above 0.5? If your ketones go up, but they don't go as up as as far as 0.5 millimolars, that means you probably need to cut out a little bit more um, of those more hidden carbohydrates, or um, like beans, for example, uh, or uh, or you need to lower your protein a little bit. Um, Got it. But uh, what I would say is try that, and and then you can tune a little bit, and you and I can do a check in, and we can come back to the the audience not only with sort of your results, but you know what are the little things that turned out worked for you. Yeah, I can coach you through it a little bit. Okay, awesome. Um, it's good. It's good times. Uh, I will definitely try that. Thanks for the tips. Yeah, I uh, love it. So we are nearing our hour mark where we try to usually keep these episodes. Um, we have a couple other things we want to get in. So do you guys want to do some like quick hits for folks on some other tips and tricks that you may have? Totally. How about you, Darren? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in a few. Yeah, yeah. I try to start out. My my regular diet is actually, I've transformed it a little bit. Not probably not nearly as significantly as what you've done, March. But um, I try to get uh, 25 grams of protein each morning. That's my that's my goal for for starting the day. I typically do that hard boiled egg. I've got like a like a peanut butter and an almond spread that is high in protein. I've found that's a that is a really good. It, the benefit that I've seen, I guess, is that I tend to get a lot. My my mental focus is better, and I tend to have sort of a, con, a more constant energy level uh, throughout the day, or at least through sort of the the early afternoon. Uh, it also seems to counteract cravings for me. So that's one tip. You know what's interesting about that one? Uh, in Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Body Book, uh, where he kind of introduced the slow carb diet to the world, one of the biggest uh, tips that he always talked about in terms of like what could you do to if you don't want to like change your entire diet in terms of like every meal you're eating, what would be mm-hmm. the biggest change you could make? And the one he said was thirty grams of protein within thirty minutes of waking up. And he said case after Mm. case for all types of people. And he said his, I believe his father included, it was the number one thing uh, that helped people lose weight, uh, feel better, uh, Mm -hmm. all the, all the benefits you said. So uh, it's very interesting. And I, I, you know what I've noticed is everybody that, you know, maybe has asked me for tips and tricks that I talk about this to, they always end up commenting about basically how long it takes for them to typically eat in the morning. Um, by the time they get out of bed, brush their teeth, do their little morning routine, yeah, that's walk around, my deal go to the too, bathroom. To be honest with you, yeah, it's like an hour, forty-five yeah, minutes, yeah. and they're like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. okay, I should try to get something in my system right away." And so, uh, yeah, that's interesting to hear you say that. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'll give you a couple of quick hits, and then uh, I know you probably have a couple uh, in as well. Uh, for me, uh, you know, both because of the particular diet that I have, but just in general, you know, there's never enough time to really properly plan and make meals. 
and uh, and so I've sort of have a few hits that are really just about um, how do you how do you plan and how do you deal with uh, not having a bunch of time to cook all your meals and plan your meals. Uh, first one that's worked for our family is just having a, a small repertoire of meals that everybody loves that you just sort of go to again and again and again so that mm-hmm. you don't have to go through the whole like universe of possible things that you could eat on a Tuesday night. Uh, and so we have three or four of those things that we just like and that we know how to make and they're pretty easy. And then standbys, standbys, totally. Yeah. And then the second one for us is we usually make about twice as much as we know we're going to need for that meal because it's so it's much easier to make a bigger meal than it is to make two meals. But if you make a bigger meal, then you've got leftovers. And so sort of planning for that, like Mm. we're going to cook something on Monday and then we'll cook something on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, we'll eat the thing that is the leftovers from Monday. And then on Thursday, we'll eat the thing that is the leftovers from uh, Thursday. And now like you've you've covered half your week. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two things, you know, have a, uh, have a small repertoire so you don't have to think about it, plan for leftovers. Um, and then, you know, uh, you can batch things like we will, um, we'll batch roast vegetables or snacks or, um, Kristen really loves like, uh, these sort of butter pan fried, um, pecans. And so she'll make a whole, oh my gosh, yeah, it's amazing. And she likes, we have rosemary in our garden and she takes the rosemary and cuts it up, mixes it in there. Oh, I never thought about that. It's really good. It's a very like fragrant, savory flavor. And, um, so Ooh. she'll make a. Ba- Don't worry, uh, Darren. March will have us over soon. Yeah, totally. <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's, it's gonna like be. That. It's gonna be very. I'm, I'm gonna wait until after Ian is through his keto flu. Uh, <laughs> well, I, yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, anyway, I, so, so Ian, you should give us a tip. But I, I have a tip to to end with. It is a tip for cheating. Oh yeah, and, go, go and for it's it. and it's completely shameless. No, no, I don't want to interrupt Ian. Ian, you should give us a tip or two. Okay, uh, this would be one. That, this is a good one to close with. That's a great point. Okay. Um, so I had a couple on avoiding cravings. We had a, a short list here. So, I mean, one way to obviously improve your focus is to just don't eat crap. And mm-hmm. and one of the ways <laughs> to do that is to avoid when you have a craving to eat junk. And so um, some easy ways to avoid cravings are uh, try actually to con- to keep a consistent meal schedule. So don't skip uh, meals is a, is a good way to w- avoid cravings. Um, uh, another one that I thought was really interesting, and I've, I've read this in many places, is uh, mint actually has a lot of components that help you avoid cravings uh, and hunger in general. Oh. Um, so you can either... Oh, that's right. Uh, I'd forgotten about that. I remember Yeah. So you can either sniff mint, uh, the, just the scent of it, or uh, a lot of times now they're, they're starting to flavor mint in waters. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can try some of that. Uh, and then this is one that I just found uh, in researching for the show that I, I have not tried. So, you know... If you're listening, try this out next time you're having a craving. Uh, you can apparently put your fingers, your five fingers on five fingers of your hand on your forehead, mm-hmm. and you can space them just slightly apart, uh, and then begin tapping each of your five fingers at intervals of one second. Um, and then when you're doing this, if you like look upward and actually watch what you're doing, um, and just do it for a little bit, you will actually uh, see a lot of your cravings disappear. And now I can't figure out if this is Whoa. one of those like, you know, rub your belly, tap your head kind of things where it's like uh, totally yeah, not yeah. true. Uh, but yeah, it, I have heard like, there is some science behind this actual theory. I can imagine that it would get your retention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would imagine I would that love it to would... know if this is a real thing. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I would too. I would too. I, I'm sort of trying to justify this in my mind. Like, why why would that be true? I, I can only imagine that it is just distracting enough, much like meditation in a way. Where you're you're bringing your focus back to something other than how your mind wanders, 
a craving. Right. I'm, I'm just sort of drawing the analogy that a craving is a little bit like your mind wandering onto something that you might not want it to wander on. And the act of focusing on the, you know, your hand on your forehead and, and the movement of that would just be just enough to bring just you enough. back into, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. A couple other quick ones. So um, we, uh, you talked about kind of batching essentially, March. Yeah. And one thing that I've found that's amazing for that is get one of those little slow cookers. Um, and so you can yes. throw stuff in there, head to work, uh, have it cooking all day, nice slow temperature, low temperature, mm-hmm. and it, it gets all those flavors going. One of the things that I love to do, which is a, I'll put a link uh, to maybe a, a, like a doc online. I'll publish it. I have a, a fairly uh, famous, I'll put it, uh, chili recipe that I've been making for years now that many friends have have asked me for the recipe mm. for and, and made and enjoyed. Um, mm. But chili can be a fantastic, uh, very healthy, uh, oh, yeah. low-carb meal that um, can be made in lots of like slightly varying ways. Uh, Mexican food in, in general is, is fantastic for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can never get sick of it. Uh, I had a friend who uh, basically realized the magic of hot sauce uh, mm. with this chili and he, he oh there, he there's do- so he... much magic with hot sauce there's oh so my much gosh. Magic. <laughs> I, I absolutely are, are we are we gonna do an episode on hot sauce oh yeah I, absolutely <laughs> better better hot sauce better cook yeah yeah absolutely better cooking better hot sauce better life that that's yeah, b- better all hot in. sauce better life mm-hmm. that's right mm-hmm. i love it it's a bumper sticker. Uh, so so that was one of them. And then the, the other thing I was going to mention to people is if um, you were hearing our, our tips earlier around eating more vegetables, uh, one thing that no one, uh, very few people realize is uh, vegetables are very caloric, are not very calorically dense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so- Which is a good thing. Uh, well, it can be, but it, it can also be um, misleading. And so, like mm. I was saying earlier, we're, we're very uh, psychological creatures, mm-hmm. right? And so we will eat very visually. And I remember watching, there's an awesome documentary- which I'll try to find a link to. I don't remember which one it was, but they did a test where uh, they brought people into a room. They had them um, take a plate that they handed them and then serve themselves uh, a meal, essentially. Like they had cooked up all this food and they said, just scoop out what you would like to eat. And then um, they said, essentially, oh, we're so sorry. Like we we chose the wrong plates for you. You need to switch them out. And they gave them smaller plates. Uh, and then they, they basically did this with two groups and then the the amount of food and like what they thought they would eat was drastically different. And Mm. it was all based on the visuals of how much the food looked like when on a smaller plate. Wow. So a great hack if you're trying to like, this is getting into the diet area maybe, but like just get smaller plates in general and you'll be, you'll be doing well. That's a good one. But on the psychology front, if you're trying to replace, um, some of the carby kinds of things or meats, for example, on your plate with more vegetables, it will literally take a more like more volume of vegetables to equal the same amount of uh, feeling of fullness that you had in your previous meals because vegetables are not very calorically dense. Mm-hmm. And so typically what will happen is people try to eat more vegetables is they will replace the same volume of vegetables that they usually have with their meats or their carbs. And then mm-hmm. the net result will be, oh, I'm eating all these vegetables, but I, I still feel not very satisfied. I still feel hungry. And they get frustrated. And so you right. just need to realize that like you need to eat a lot more of them and it's totally okay because they're very low in calories and you're not like going to blow up anytime soon. So yeah. Yeah. Mm. Those are a couple of my tips. Very right. good. So Darren, nice. uh, fi- how yeah, are you going to get better at cheating? I teased this one and this one's, this one's, I'm probably going to catch a lot of, a lot of grief for this one, but I was, um, I discovered this is this is a cheat, and I'm just not even gonna be. I'm not even gonna veil it. it, it is, it's absolutely <laughs> a cheat. Um, 
I was on on the work on the way to work one day, and I was rushed and didn't have time to to fix a breakfast or to really get anything. And I happened to realize that I, I did a quick search on my phone as I'm pulling out of the driveway, just thinking about okay, what can I grab on the way to work that would be just somewhere in the realm of healthy. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, there's there's a Chick Fil A on the way to work. Oh God! Damn. I went and looked up. I know, I know, this is terrible, but I looked up an eight piece Chick Fil A chicken nugget right. has twenty eight grams of protein, one gram of sugar, and only two hundred and seventy calories. It's actually fairly dense from a protein perspective. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about the sodium. That's where this just goes all kinds of bad. But in terms of carbs, it's pretty low in carbs, 10 grams of carbs, which is, you know, half of what you're allowed for a whole day's worth of ketosis diet. But um, in a pinch, in a pinch, I have been known to do a little uh, eight-piece chicken, or chicken, uh, Chick-fil-A chicken nugget. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm not going to be proud of it, but I'm going to say that I'm human, and uh, and this is better than an alternative approach, uh, that I could have just fallen completely off the cliff. So yeah, this no, this one I love it. This one staved me over, and uh, so I'm going to yeah. share it as a tip, and I'm going to take whatever grief comes along with that. I, I mean, I think it's amazing because the, what that means is even in that moment when you're going to fall off the wagon, you're falling off the wagon deliberately knowing uh, all the nutritional information, right? Because that's actually yeah. I think that's amazing uh, because it you sort of you're, it's like a controlled landing when you're falling off the wagon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't ideal or anything, but it was like, hey, if I'm going, you know, how do I minimize the negativity? Yeah. Right. How do I minimize the negative impact? Okay. Well, this is what I got. Uh, no, I think love that's it. great. I love it. So to round out the show, let's uh, close up with what we are about to go experiment with in the realm of nutrition uh, and report back on eventually. And by the way, if you're listening and you're, you keep hearing this part of the show, uh, we will eventually probably do an entire episode where we report back on all of the things mm-hmm. that we are experimenting with. Uh, and we'll probably do that. I know March uh, and I were talking behind the scenes. We'll figure out the right cadence mm-hmm. for it, but we need enough time to actually do the experiments ourselves. So um, it may be every month or every couple, every, you know, five, 10 episodes, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, Mr. March, what are you thinking about experimenting with around nutrition? Yeah, I got two things. Well, the first one, which is new because I hadn't heard about it, is that forehead tapping thing. Uh, I'm definitely going to try that out. It sounds really kooky, but um, sometimes things are kooky (laughs) and they still work. So I'm going to try that. Um, I'm going to cruise by March's desk during the day and he's tapping his forehead. I'll be like, exactly what's going on. Don't talk to him right now. He's he's in the middle of a craving. I'm going to have like five little red marks just (laughs) permanently on my forehead. He'll be like, "Uh uh-oh, must be one of those days. Um, The other thing for me uh, is I'm going to experiment a little bit with lowering my my protein intake and see um, what that does for me. Cause I, I do eat a lot of protein on it and I, I'm staying in ketosis, but, uh, I definitely sort of edge near the edge of it sometime. And I definitely don't have any carbs in my life. So it's, it's must be too much protein. So I'm going to continue on my little sort of refinement, um, around ketosis. So that, um, less protein and more head tapping is my two things. Uh, real quickly, mm-hmm. March, what do you actually eat in a typical day? All right. It's a good question. Okay. Um, so, uh, what is a typical day? Uh, so pretty commonly I won't eat breakfast. I'll have a cup of coffee in the morning with heavy cream and then sometime around lunch, I'll have a salad. Um, and that's usually like a mixed green salad with some vegetables 
um, and some chicken or protein and then just sort of drenched in uh, an olive oil vinaigrette. Um, mm. And then, which is very tasty. And then in the evening, I'll have something a little bit more substantial, which might be, for example, um, uh, marinated chicken thighs, um, uh, sort of charcoaled on the grill, and then a uh, mashed cauliflower with uh, cream and butter and cheese mixed into it, which is a sort of a cauliflower gratin thing, which is amazing. Uh, and then something wow. like maybe um, some uh, grilled uh, asparagus with olive oil and garlic. That would be... Oh, uh, you can't beat build a, uh, grilled asparagus. Yeah. That stuff is so good. So I tell yeah, All right. that's I don't know if that, that helps you. That helps a lot. I That makes me want to go eat that. <laughs> me too. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, how about you, Darren? What are you thinking about experimenting with uh, in the so, world of nutrition? I just adopted this. I did, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I just got this uh, in the mail the other day. I ordered this off of Amazon. It's um, MCT oil. I don't know mm. if you guys know about this. Uh -huh. Oh, I've been looking at this. Yeah, media, yeah medium, medium chain, chain triglycerides. Exactly, exactly. So the 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 uh, TLDR on MCTs are the these medium chain triglycerides are they're fats that are sort of naturally found in coconut and palm kernel oil. Um, supposedly, they're eat more easily digested uh, than other types of fats, and they um, they they require low amounts lower amounts of enzymes and uh, bile acids for to be absorbed in the uh, intestines. So anyway. Um, the idea is that they metabolize pretty quickly, and they're reported to encourage, encourage increase in energy um, and decreasing fat storage. So I'm going to experiment with this a little bit. I had heard about these from a friend of mine who was doing this and had gotten really good results, just felt better, a little bit more energy in general. So this is something that I've started adding to my diet uh, and just going to see how it goes. Sounds really interesting. I want to know how that goes. Yeah, I'm right now I'm adding it to, I'm adding it to the coffee. So it's it's sort of that bulletproof thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it doesn't really do anything for the flavor of the coffee. I kind of think that the coconut oil is 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 better for yeah. for the consistency, the flavor. But we'll see how this goes. Yeah, totally. Real quick, you guys have mentioned it a few times. For folks that aren't aware, what is bulletproof coffee? That's a good question. Do you want to take a swing at this, Darren? Yeah, you know, you should do this because I'm probably going to get a few things wrong. I, I know it is a, it's okay. a, it's a series of things that you can yeah. add to coffee that have various different effects. It's almost a recipe for how you would bring coffee in, and yeah. I know I know some of it, but I'll get some of it wrong too. Yeah, and I'll, I'll I, I I won't get into the. We'll put a link in the show about like the whole origin of it, where it came from, and all that sort of thing. But basically, it's a keto coffee drink, and so it's a, a coffee and then a combination of butter, coconut oil, or MCT oils, and basically you uh, you blend it a little bit so that it sort of emulsifies and mixes together. Um, and, and people sort of, you know, experiment a little bit cause you kind of, it can, it can get super greasy and gross really fast. Um, but in, yeah, that's the challenge with yeah. that. But, but in general, I think like, um, you know, uh, you kind of, you know, for eight ounces of coffee, you want maybe half an ounce of butter and a quarter ounce of MCT oil. Um, and basically mm. it's just a, it's a fuel for the body, especially if you're in this keto or low carb world, you get your coffee you get some uh, MCT oil, you get some saturated fat in the form of some uh, uh, some butter uh, or coconut cream or coconut oil, I mean, and uh, and it can really set you up for the day. And some people will will have it instead of breakfast. So, yeah, that's, okay, that's what Bulletproof Coffee is. 
It does tend to fill you up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit more than normal. Uh, with you know, without the extra, without without the uh, the oils and stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's all just it's an energy drink, basically. It's like a healthy energy drink. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and we can put a link in uh, to the show notes, of course. Um, uh, so, uh, Ian, how about you? Let's let's finish off with you in terms of what uh, what little experiments are you going to do? Yeah, so I am. I'm still. Let's say I'll say I'm ketosis curious right <laughs> <Sure>. now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to take the plunge, but I'm very fascinated, in it, and I've been hearing a lot of folks trying it. So uh, I, I'm considering it. And maybe if uh, if people start, if if enough listeners like egg me on, maybe right. then I'll then I'll jump right. in. Um, so write in. Let us know if you actually tried it and what what your experience has been like. Uh, one thing I am totally going to be incorporating though, because this is just an easy win for me and probably for most people is um, the benefits of dark chocolate. Mm. And when oh, I say dark man. chocolate, I'm going to, we're going to get serious though, guys. I'm talking super dark chocolate. <laughs> nice. This is not bitter, bitter chocolate. This yeah, is none of this literally business. 100% dark Whoa. chocolate. Oh, you're talking about cocoa powder effectively. Well, it's, not it's powder, so, but just straight up cocoa nibs maybe is what you're talking about. Yeah, so it's it's cool. There's this company called Fruition, mm-hmm. uh, and it turns out I looked them up. Uh, they're, they're actually only uh, like less than a hundred miles from where I grew up in upstate New York. So they're an upstate New York company, mm. and they make this uh, dark chocolate called One Hundred Percent, and you can buy it in bars. It's handcrafted, and it is essentially um, a blend of two of their favorite origins uh, of of flavors uh, of a roasted cocoa base mm-hmm. and so it's it's dominican and peruvian uh cacao and as you may know i mm. didn't originally but i watched a whole documentary on it cacao is a fermented fruit uh, yeah. and yeah, so is. fermented stuff is incredibly healthy for you and awesome uh and so it's very hard to find um super high percentages of dark chocolate like this 100 percent, for example that are not originally made for baking purposes right and the reason that mm-hmm. matters is when they make them for baking purposes, they're typically pretty bitter and um, mm-hmm. like they're oh, kind yeah. of overcooked and they're they're just a different beast. And so this one is made for consumption. Uh, it's you know, like I said, they handcraft these bars uh, and they're really really high quality. And uh, it's something that you know you're not going to eat a lot of at once, so you want to just have a, you know a couple pieces at night. But the thing mm-hmm. I love about it is. I am like Darren. I have this sweet tooth. I, you know, I grew up with my grandmother saying her famous saying was uh, a dessert complements a good meal. Mm. And so, you know, I have it just ingrained in me that, you know, dessert is the way to finish off a a good Mm -hmm. good meal. And so I'm going to incorporate this and try to like cut down my ice cream habits and some of my other things. Uh, so I'll get the double whammy of like cutting out some some bad junk in my life and and doing the March yeah. tip and hack from earlier and replacing it with something that I mean I love chocolate so yeah I can't well, go wrong with this. Let me let me add one to this because um, I think that this cocoa is a great or cacao I should say is a great uh, uh, it's a great source for all kinds of things antioxidants and whatnot. Theo's one of our local uh, chocolate makers um, organic chocolate makers sell cocoa nibs Mm. and these are like little nuts like almost like you would eat a they're they're smaller than a typical nut but but uh they actually sell the nibs and they are 100 pure cacao and um they're great for actually spreading on a salad like instead of uh croutons or something it adds just a bit of sort of nuttiness to a salad um so we've done these before and they they sell them 
Actually, we'll put a link to it. I know they sell them on Amazon.com. They're, you know, they're a little bitter. They're not like eating a chocolate bar, but uh, it's a really easy way to get, um, you know, some really good nutrition. Yeah. Perfect. I'm, uh, yeah, I All can't right. wait to hear uh, how that chocolate is because uh, it could be very hard to find super high percentage uh, chocolate that, that's not sort of crumbly and chalky that's still creamy. So uh, left exactly. it, let me know if you, if you found it. I'll give you a sample. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, this was good, guys. Thanks for uh, giving me some tips. And hopefully, if you were listening, you felt the same way. Uh, we want to make sure we tell folks where they can go find us. Uh, so on social networks, we are The Better Show. So that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I even just signed us up for Snapchat, guys. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we're going to oh, use nice. it, but at, at nice. least somebody else can't take cool. it. Cool. Uh, and then if you want to go to our site, uh, our website and, you know, see show notes for all the episode links to everything we talked about, it's just bettershow.io. Um, and with that guys, I just want to say thanks. Yeah, totally. And I, Absolutely. I'm going to throw in one more request to our, our listeners, which is, um, if you enjoy the show, uh, and you could do two things to help us out, to help other people discover the show and grow our community. The first one is go to iTunes and leave a, a review and a rating, if you please, and then find one person in your life who you care about, who think could uh, benefit from listening to the show and tell them all about it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, I will see you all next episode. All right. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks again for listening to The Better Show. Three quick notes before we go. Number one, we really hope what you heard today can help you on your journey to getting better. And if it did, it'd mean the world to us if you could head on over to iTunes or wherever you found the show and leave a review. This is one of the best ways to help grow the show and ultimately the community that we're trying to build together. Number two, for links to anything you heard in today's episode, just head on over to bettershow.io. While you're there, sign up for our Better Show newsletter where each week we send a summary of the latest tips, tricks, and hacks, and cool articles that we've come across in our journey to getting better. And finally, number three, join the conversation and let us know how you're getting better. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, just search The Better Show. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.